The following podcast is a recording from the sermon ministry of Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Our prayer is that this message will be used by God to help you in your daily walk with Him. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. And as I mentioned last week, we're taking a little bit of a break. We have about three or four weeks left in the book of Isaiah that we're going to finish up, Lord willing, in the month of January. But during the month of December, we wanted to take a look at some of the eyewitnesses to the crucifix, or sorry, to the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, and as we examine the birth of Christ and all that went into that, everything that, was, that took place on that morning, there were several different people who had an eyewitness account in the early, either it was at the birth of Christ, shortly thereafter, or the wise men within the first couple of years. And we learn a lot about Jesus through that. And so I'd like us to take a look this morning at one of probably the most familiar passages of Scripture in all of the Bible on the birth of Christ. It's Luke chapter 2. And the reason why we have so many details here about the birth of Christ was because we believe that the book of Luke is the account of Mary. So what, what, we, what happened is when the Bible was written, so you had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those were the, the four gospel writers. Um, they went back and they actually interviewed people that were there at the time of the different events. And Luke, we believe, spent a significant amount of time with Mary. And so Luke chapter number 2, we believe, is Mary's account of what took place at the birth of Jesus, as the best that she could recall. And Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this down, and that's what we have in our Bible today. So Luke chapter number 2, verse number 1, we have the birth of Jesus. And the Bible says, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we open up your word and we examine this story of an event that took place 2,000 years ago when the Son of Man, the Son of God, came down to earth and was born. Lord, I pray that as we've heard this story many times before in our life, that it would be a, we'd examine it with different eyes today, that your Holy Spirit would op- help us to see, it would open our eyes to see some truths here that we can apply to our lives as we walk out these doors. Because Lord, there is a world that is lost, dying, needs desperately a Savior. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to do our best to study the scriptures and to learn of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. True story. I heard it from Paul Harvey. Some of you know that back in the day. He used to be on the radio. There was this guy named Jim, and Jim worked at a grocery store, and he actually loved his job. He prided himself on doing a good work. But one of his pet peeves 
was out of control children and parents who yelled at their kids and did nothing to correct their children's obnoxious behaviors in the grocery store. Maybe you can relate to that. Well, one evening, Jim was checking out a customer who had a shopping cart full of groceries. And as he's ringing up the sale, there was a child that just off in the distance began screaming very loudly and an angry man just shouted, get down. What a jerk, Jim thought. You know, here's this parent. Well, he needs some counseling, parenting skills here. You don't talk to a kid that way. And, and, and the kid behind him was still crying, and he heard the man yell again, get down. Jim's like, parenting these days. I can't believe this guy is a total jerk. And he kept, he kept checking the customer out without looking up. Finally, he finished his customer's cart, and Jim looked up and told the customer, he said, that'll be $89.95, ma'am. Seeing no one, he glanced around and noticed that everyone, including his customer, was lying face down on the ground. He turned around just in time to see the gunman running from the store. The cashier that was behind him was lying on the floor and, and calmly said, Jim, you know, the second time you heard the man shout, get down, his gun was pointed right at your head. And you know, sometimes in our lives, the noise, the things that we think, the distractions that are out there, we, we get lost, we get accustomed to the noise in our culture. Just like I can remember when I went to college for the first time, uh, there was a, my, my freshman year, right next door to the dorm, there was a railroad track. And for the first probably three or four weeks, every single night at midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, when that train would go by, I would get woken up because the house would shake and you would hear the, the train whistle and it was just really, really loud. But after a couple of weeks, a month or so, you get used to it and you sleep right through it. Don't even know it's there. How many times do you and I get so accustomed to the noises, like Jim, we get accustomed to the kids yelling and screaming, whatever it might be, that when someone is trying to tell us something important, we just kind of say, ah, that's not important, it's not significant. Like, I can't, if you were to drive from here into D.C. today, how many signs would you pass that say, you know, click it or ticket, you know, buckle up your seatbelt? Probably hundreds, you know, they're all over the place, warning you not to drink and drive, warning you, you know, our culture says don't abuse drugs, don't do, there, there are so many warnings out there that oftentimes we can see the warnings, but we're so used to them, we go on with our business as usual, and if you ignore those messages, you can put yourself in great danger. If you ignore the most important message of the Bible, the one that can save your life, when you stand before God one day, it will be too late. And the biggest question of all, the title of our message this morning, is the one that I want to answer here in our text. And I think we'll see it here in Luke chapter number two. How do you answer the biggest question of all in your life? What will you do with Jesus? We live in a culture today that is desperately seeking for answers. This past week, I was introduced to a spiritual guru from Hawaii. And this spiritual guru from Hawaii, uh, he re quit his job about 10 years ago. He's got hair down middle of his back and it's in dreadlocks. I don't think he's probably washed his hair in probably 15 or 20 years. He told me or told that he was speaking and he was saying how that what he does in Hawaii is he, he goes to farmers markets and he sells rose water. And this rose water has some particular qualities that will help you give you balance and restore different things into your life. And as he was going on and kind of explaining what he does, he says his goal in life is to make people happy and to find happiness for himself. You know, initially when I heard that, he explained what he did, I kind of laughed, but deep down inside my heart broke because here is a person that is giving his entire life trying to find happiness and at the end of the day, he will never find true happiness. 
because true happiness is not found in anything that you can do for someone. It's not found in any state of Zen that you can get into. It's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, well, that sounds pretty exclusive. It is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You can be a spiritual guru in Hawaii. You can be a motivational speaker. You can, you, know, you can embrace all these things that the world says are important to embrace. And at the end of the day, when you stand before God, all those things will mean absolutely nothing if you have not answered the biggest question of all. What will you do with the baby that is in the manger? Look at your text again if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, It came to pass in those days... What was those days? Well, there, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So we believe this took place about 4 B.C. or so. There was a decree by the governor, by, I'm sorry, by the emperor, Caesar Augustus, that he wanted to keep track of everybody that was in the Roman Empire, find out how many people he ruled. And so this taxation was more like a census where people were required by law to go to their ancestral home and essentially to register there and to pay a tax. Like I said, we believe this took place about four years before the, not B.C., before the birth of Christ, before B.C., as there's been some historical, the reason why it's 4 B.C. and not 0 B.C. when Christ was born, there's some historical things that happened with the calendar in the Roman Empire. We won't go into that this morning. But 4 B.C. is when we believe this took place. And the Bible says in verse number 4 that Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. Now, verse number 1, there was a decree from Caesar Augustus that everyone needed to be counted, needed to be taxed. And in verse 4, there's a problem because Jesus, at this point, is in the womb of Mary. He's, they're living in Nazareth. Joseph and Mary are living in Nazareth. And yet there was the ancient prophecy that we read earlier in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2 that needed to be fulfilled. Remember that? Micah 5, 2. I think we have the verse up there on the screen for you. It says this, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler of Israel whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. So we saw last week that there was a prophecy or that the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was to be born to Mary and Joseph, but Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth, not Bethlehem, like Micah said. So somehow Joseph and Mary have to get down to Bethlehem. How's God going to do it? Through the IRS, right? Through taxes. How many of you love taxes? Yeah, none of us here in this room, right? And so God is going to use taxes to get Mary and Joseph back down to Bethlehem. Now, often things in my life, and I'm sure in your life happened to you, that were, are a change in our plans. Something that we didn't want to do. I, I can't imagine, I, I've never been pregnant myself, right, because I'm a biological male, can't happen to me, but I can't imagine that being pregnant, nine months pregnant, my wife is there at nine months now, I can't imagine making that trip all the way down to Nazareth. It would be a three-day journey by a donkey all the way down there, that that would be a very comfortable thing to do, right? With a young woman who's ready to give birth, it's not a very comfortable thing. This year at our church, there have been some situations here that God has put us some uncomfortable things in our path, and I think all of us have been through something this year in our families, in our church, whatever it might be, that we say, well, I would rather not go through that but God has allowed that and has moved us in a certain direction that we wouldn't have gone otherwise if those uncomfortable things didn't happen. What if some of those horrible things in your life, the horrible I use in quotation marks because we view them sometimes as terrible, but what if they're not terrible mistakes? What if they're not horrible mistakes, but something that God allows in your life to get you where he wants you to be? 
Well, the Bible tells us that's exactly what happened. They had to pay taxes. They had to go when Mary's nine months pregnant, all the way down, a three-day journey on the back of a donkey, all the way down to Bethlehem. Not very comfortable thing to do. But if you look at verse number seven, it says, And they laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the word manger there in the Greek is an animal feeding trough. Some people think that the location of the manger, that it must have been in a cave behind the inn. And if you've ever been to Bethlehem, you can kind of see how that might be a possibility. We don't know. Uh, but the word inn there in the Greek is a lodging place. And back in Bible days, it was typically a two-story structure. The lower level would have been for animals that would have been built around some sort of a camp yard, or a courtyard rather, where the travelers would all camp. And so they get to the inn. There's no room for them. And so they go to the back, they go to the barn, and the baby Jesus is placed in a feeding trough. Now think about that for a moment, the, the incredibility of all of that. The king of heaven finally arrives on earth. Where does he spend his first night? In a feeding trough. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9, it says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, was Jesus rich? Absolutely. I mean, he's the creator of it all. Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The king of heaven forsake, forsook everything to come down and die on the cross for you and for me so we could go to heaven. So the big question is, what will you do, what will you do with that baby that is in the manger? Alright, so we see the account, first of all, in verses 1-7 through seven of the baby in the manger. But I want you to notice that the story changes a little bit in verse number 8. The Bible says there in verse 8 that shepherds were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now in those days, shepherds were not the most respectable of people. When shepherds would come through town, people would lock their doors and shutter their windows. Now, it's possible, and people theorize, that because Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem, probably about four or five miles from the temple, give or take, that the flocks that were out, the shepherds were keeping track of that night, those might have been the flocks of sheep that were used in the temple ceremonies. Now, how ironic is it that the king of the universe would have his birth announced, first time, first announcement being made of the birth, would be made to the shepherds. It's also fitting that the Lamb of God would, would be first seen and preached to by the shepherds. And, and the Bible says in verse 8 that they were keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, some have said that this gives us the idea that Jesus wouldn't have been born in December because in Israel at that time, at night it gets down into the 20s and it probably would have been too cold for the shepherds to spend the night outside. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly when it took place, but all that matters is not the date per se. Some say December 25th, right? I don't know. It doesn't matter when, but Jesus was born, all right? That's the important thing. And if you notice down in verse number 11, the shepherds were out there keeping watch over their flock by night. The angel appears to them, and the angel says in verse number 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Who was born? Well, he tells us there, the angel tells us exactly who was born. There, there's actually three words that are used to describe Jesus. Savior, then Christ, and the Lord. So the word Savior there in our text to, to many people in Jesus' day, the Jewish people especially, they were looking for a savior. They were looking for a political messiah to save them from the Roman Empire. Many people today in 2022 
are looking for something that will save them from the problems that they got themselves into. They're looking for a meaning in life. They, they say, you know, I'm a horrible person, I'm a bad person, so tell yourself you're a good person. Tell yourself that you're actually not a bad person at all. Whisper these lies to you and, and come up with some sort of way to convince yourself that you're not a bad person. But God says in, the, in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9, that the heart is deceitful above all, above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. In other words, you and I look at a world who thinks that they're basically good. And God says, no world, you're not basically good, you're very, very bad. That is why you need a Savior to save you from your sins. Isaiah caught a glimpse of what that Savior would be in Isaiah 53, verse number 6. It says that this Savior was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, who's him? The Savior, the iniquity of us all. You see, my friend, God wanted to save us from more than just having a bad day. He wanted to save us from our worst problem, and that worst problem that we all face is our sin. It's our disobedience that keeps us from having a relationship with God. And so God sent His only begotten Son into the world for the purpose of paying for our sins. Our sins were heaped upon Jesus when He died. He paid for our sins. Dads and moms here today, don't let the incredible pressure of this time of the year cause you to forget what Christmas is all about. It's not about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus, Frosty the Snowman, Christmas parties. It's not about families learning to be nice and getting along. No, Jesus entered into this world for one reason, to pay for our sins on the cross. Why did he do that? Because he loved you so incredibly that he wants to spend eternity with you. That is your Lord. That is your Savior. He's the one who died for you. But notice, not only is he called Christ Jesus the Lord, but he's called the word Christ. The word Christ there is the, the, the Greek word for, word for Messiah. And Messiah simply means anointed one. The Jews had a custom. Remember when Samuel, when the people went to Samuel and they said, Hey Samuel, we want a king. Samuel went out and God told him to anoint a man by the name of Saul. So he took a cruise of oil and he poured it on Saul's head. When Saul didn't work out, God said, I want a new king, King David. And so he found little David the shepherd boy and he poured oil on his head. The oil in the Old Testament was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God saying, this is the king that I choose to be leader over Israel. And so when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the anointed one appears, he was supposed to be a descendant from King David. So it's very appropriate that this descendant of King David, Jesus Christ, was born in the city of David, Bethlehem itself. And the Jews had been waiting for centuries for their Messiah to come. This was the day. So we see he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, the Anointed One, but he's also Christ Jesus, the Lord. The Lord there in the Greek is kurios. He's a person or thing that belongs. He's the one that has the power of deciding what happens over something that he controls. So when the angels appeared, right, and I told you the story about Jim, the shopping clerk, when the angels appeared, it wasn't some crazed robber that the, that the angels or the shepherds needed to pay attention to. The person that they needed to pay attention to was their Lord and their master. 
You know, we in America, we bristle at the idea of having another person considered to be our Lord, right? We don't want someone to tell us what to do. I think it was Friday, Dr. Fauci was being interviewed and someone said, well, do you think we should revive the mask mandates? And he said, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea, but he said, Americans like their freedom. They don't like being told what to do. That's true, right? None of us, if you go to look at the Statue of Liberty in Manhattan, down in New York Harbor, you have the Statue of Liberty the French gave us, but at the base of the statue, there is a chain link. There's a chain that is broken. And that symbolizes, France said, you've, got tyr- you've overthrown tyranny from Britain. The chain of tyranny has been broken. You are free. We like our freedom and we bristle at the idea of anyone telling us what to do. But the shepherds understood that God was to be, the baby that was born was to be their Lord. Verse number 13 says that there was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. So here's the angel he appears to them and he says that it's Jesus Christ the Lord. They understood what that meant, that he was to be their Messiah, that he was to be their Lord, their Master. And if you notice, the Bible says there that there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Whenever you see that word host in the Bible, it, it talks about armies. It's frequently found in the Old Testament. The, the Lord of hosts, it's the Lord of the armies. And so the idea here is that the angels appeared in that field but they didn't appear like the, she- the angels that you and I have probably, well, at least I'll speak for the Schwanky family. We have an angel on our Christmas tree that's wearing a long white choir robe and, you know, the little halo around its head and looks like a perfect little angel. Th- that's not the idea here, right? There was a multitude of the heavenly host. The word there is armies. So it, it was a huge army of heavenly warriors that appeared out of nowhere, praising God, singing praises to the Lord. Seems like these warriors of God had no problem giving praise to God. They, they certainly didn't seem embarrassed to sing out praises to the Lord. I know sometimes I you know, look around the, the service on a Sunday morning and some people are singing, some people are mumbling, some people aren't singing at all. It's like you're embarrassed to sing whatever it might be. These guys weren't embarrassed to sing about their creator. They weren't embarrassed to sing about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They had no problem giving praise to God. And what did they say in their song of praise to God? Verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Interesting there, the the way that it's phrased in the Greek is glory to God in the highest, and upon earth, in men, goodwill. And it's very interesting the way that it's phrased. I'll break that down for you. First of all, three phrases in the song that they sang. Number one, glory to God in the highest. Who is the God that they were singing to? It was the God that created everything. He's the God of glory, the God who deserves honor for what he did, sending his son. God deserves the highest glory. They are saying this because of what God is doing at that very moment. What is God doing? Think about this. God sends His only begotten Son to be delivered into a dark and sinful world, a world that is going to turn on this Son and crucify Him. So they're saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. Now, this isn't talking about peace in the sense of absence from wars. You know, there's a song that we sing, A Christmas Carol, all is calm, all is bright. That, that's not the idea here, because the world is constantly, somewhere in the world, throughout the given, the history of man, there's always a conflict, always a war going on. This is talking about peace with God. The earth is in a state of war with God. The Bible talks about, in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 15, it says that we are at enmity with God. It's our rebellion that puts us at odds with God. In fact, in James chapter 4, verse number 4, James said, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, 
Now, I don't think anyone here likes to be thought of as that, but that's what God compares us to as sinners. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So the world is at war with God. What does that war look like? Well, we get a glimpse into that just a little bit in Revelation chapter number 12. Very interesting what took place when Jesus was born. And the Bible tells us there that there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and moon under her feet, and she had upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. In other words, Satan was ready to devour that Christ child. There was a war that was going on. Not just human beings at war with God, but Satan was at war with God. He wanted to destroy Jesus before he was born. That was the goal of Satan. And it's almost as if in Luke chapter number 2, when the, the host of angels appeared, that God is sending his warrior angels to establish a beachhead on the earth. And instead of dropping off, maybe we would think of, if we're going to secure a, a site, what are we going to do? We're going to send in the, uh, the Navy SEALs, or we're going to send in Matt, the Army Rangers, right? We're going to send in the best of the best, and we're going to establish that beachhead. But that's not what Jesus, or not, not what God did. Instead of sending in the best, he sent in a little baby. And that little baby would grow up and take his place on the cross to die for our sins. All that remains now is for oh, those of us who are in our sin to trust him and receive this gift of forgiveness. I love what John 1.12 says. But as many as received him, that little baby, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace on earth? Through a relationship with Jesus. Is the world at war with God? Yes, it will be. Until that day that Jesus comes back and sets up his throne on earth, it will constantly be at war with God. But until then, we can have peace in our hearts. Do you know that peace this morning? The biggest question of all, the thing that people are searching for, and they will go to Hawaii and talk to a spiritual guru, and they will spend thousands of dollars buying potions, and they'll go to places like Sedona, Arizona to get one with nature, and they'll go to all of these places around the world and buy all of these things and try to fill the void that is in their heart, which will never be filled, because they, do, they have not dealt with the biggest question of all, what will you do with the baby in the manger who offers you peace in your heart? Number three, in that song they sang, goodwill to men. The word goodwill there means benevolence, delight, pleasure, satisfaction. There's a form of this word that was used at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3. Um, the Bible says this, And lo, a voice from heaven cried out, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That, that word well pleased is the same word there for goodwill. God has provided a way in which he can now be well pleased in us. How can God be well pleased in us as a group of sinners who sin against the holy God almost every moment of the day? How can God be pleased with us? It's through a relationship with his son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21 says, For he, that was God, made him, that was Jesus, to be sin for us. That's us. 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The idea in that verse up there on the screen is that God took our sin and put it on Jesus, and God took the righteousness of Jesus and put it on us. Have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever tried your best to fit into a crowd and, and be accepted? If you've ever felt that way, then you probably can relate to this true story about a, a kid named Charles. Charles was a youngster who flunked out of every subject in the eighth grade. He took the honor of being the worst science student in the history of the school. Charles was an outcast. It's not that the other kids hated him. They, they just didn't know he was there. They ignored him. But there was one thing that Charles could do. Charles could draw. And he was proud of his art. And one day he asked that as a senior that his art would be included in the yearbook. That's what he wanted. And that request was flat out denied. Well, as he grew up, he continued to develop his portfolio and once even submitted his uh, artwork to a guy by the name of Walt Disney as Walt Disney World was getting there, getting going, or Disneyland out in California. And Walt Disney personally wrote back to him saying they only hired the finest artists and Charles did not meet those qualifications. Finally, he did the only thing that he knew to do. He took the story of his rejection and bad luck by creating cartoons. He, he painted a kid, a picture of a young kid, the perennial loser who never got any breaks and no one talked to him. And today you know the, that kid is Charlie Brown, right? One of the kids in the Phoenix comic strip who is holding his kite that never seems to fly. That's the idea there for the creator Charles Schultz found out early on that life can be cruel. And when you're rejected, it's a very difficult thing. You know, all of us probably have felt that way before in some sort of a social engagement. Maybe it was at school. We know the feeling of what it's like to not belong in some sort of a situation. The question that many people ask about their own life is, do I have what it takes? And we try all sorts of things to gain recognition and for people to think that we're okay. We try to be approved by other people. Maybe it's the clothes that we wear, it's the type of people we associate with, the car that we drive, whatever it might be. We, we try to find a way to fill that void in our life. Are you aware of the things that you do to try to be accepted by others? Sometimes, you know, it's the things that we say, the things that we do. My challenge to you today is this. Do I have what it takes? You need to ask yourself this question. Do I have what it takes to be right with God? You know, we'll do everything that we can to try to impress our neighbors. But are we trying to make sure that we are right with God? Because if you trust in Jesus, you actually do have what it takes to be right with God. Romans 8.31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If you're a Christian today, one of the greatest verses in the Bible is in 1 John 3.1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, or given to us, that we should be called the sons of God. If you can get through your head this morning the fact that through Jesus, you've become well-pleasing to God, it changes everything in your life. You no longer have to try to impress your neighbors. You no longer have to try to impress those people at work. You're pleased by God, accepted by God. And the shepherds understood that. They understood the difference that this little baby could make in their life. And you notice in verse number 15, the shepherds said one to another. You know, Luke uses the word, the, 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 the word shepherds there in the Greek literally means the men of the shepherd. The men, the shepherds. He uses the same word men in the previous verse, goodwill towards men. 
So, in other words, it's not just some random person that God is pleased with. God is pleased with you. The shepherds heard the message there that God loved them, that they were included in that message of goodwill towards men. And these shepherds, in verse number 16, the Bible says, came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe. They heard the announcement from the army of angels, and they found out that that army of angels told them the truth. It was exactly as they were told. My friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I challenge you? Search it out. The biggest question of all, what will you do with Jesus? Maybe you have questions about this God stuff. Search it out. Do your homework. Ask the questions because God has the answers. Look at verse number 19. Remember I told you that this is Mary's account, we believe, of what took place. Verse number 19 says that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The word kept there means to preserve from being lost, to keep in one's mind. And Mary not only kept those things in her mind, but she pondered them. The word pondered there, I think we have that word on the screen there. It means to throw together, to bring together, to converse. In one's mind, to put all of the pieces together, kind of to talk to yourself, to work it out in your mind. Okay, Mary's had a lot going on. I mean, nine months ago, an angel appeared to her and said, you're going to have a baby even though you've never, you've never known your husband Joseph. You're going to be with child. And then this baby starts to grow and all these questions from all the people in town, all the looks that she's getting. And then Caesar Augustus says, you've got to take a journey three days down back to Bethlehem. And all of these transitions are happening in her mind. She gives birth to the baby. And then the Bible says she ponders. She puts all these pieces together and she realizes who that little baby was. My question to you is today, the biggest question of all, what will you do with that baby in the manger? Will you ponder the things that God has for you? Have you paid attention to the message that God has for you in his word? If you're here today and you say, you know, pastor, I am a Christian. I know for sure if I were to die today, then I, I go to heaven. Then I say, amen, praise the Lord. Beloved, what, behold what manner of love the Father has given to you, that you should be called the Son of God. Remember that this Christmas season. It's not about the gifts, it's about the gift, Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you're investigating the claims of Christ, and you're wondering whether these things are true, I'd love to chat with you after the service. I'd love to go out for a cup of coffee, talk to you about how you can know for sure that the baby in Bethlehem was not only born, but he was born to die for your sins, how God became flesh and dwelt among us. Have you paid attention to the message that God has for you? Let's pray. Father, this morning we come together to worship a baby that was born, that we might have that great exchange take place where your son takes our sins and where we get the righteousness of God applied to our lives. Thank you, Lord, for that miracle that took place on Calvary, for that miracle that took place in the manger where God became man. Lord, if there's someone here today who's never dealt with the biggest question of all, what will they do with Jesus? I pray that today would be the day that they get that settled. And Lord, for the Christian who's here, who knows for sure that that little baby is their Savior, oh Lord, I pray this morning that they would take some time to praise you and to thank you for that incredible gift. And that, Lord, as we go out into a world that desperately needs the message of baby Jesus, of King Jesus, that during this Christmas season we would do our best Tell people everywhere we go that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by him. This is Pastor Barney Schwenke from Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Thank you so much for taking the time today to listen to the sermon podcast. 
If there's any way that we can help you in your journey with God, please reach out to us. You can find more information on how to contact us at our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com. May God continue to bless you as you seek to walk with